He's Christian. He's Jimmer. Welcome back to Two Physical Therapists and a Bag of Spudkins. What did it say? Oh, flavored potato snacks. That's what I was looking for. Uh, so yes. they're not really chips, but they they look like uh, they look like French fries. Yeah. So British chips, maybe crisps. Ooh, chips versus crisps. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Today we're going to talk about suprascapular nerve injuries, which uh, generally results in uh, supra and infraspinatus weakness, which will be more interesting yeah. than we think. Yeah. Yes, we do. In most cases, this is a this has vague shoulder pain, but it's really highlighted by weakness with external rotation and abduction. So turning your kind of hand outward and then turning your arm upward. Uh, sometimes there's some burning in the neck and shoulder and upper arm. Usually this is going to worsen with overhead movement. And so the uh, most common presentation with this is going to be overhead athletes. So generally throwing, uh, volleyball, uh, swimming, some tennis. Um, we see it predominantly volleyball players here there's reports and studies that show that this presents an up to 45 percent of all professional volleyball players with their serving arm whoa yeah that's fascinating so that's pretty up there uh, the best way to think of this one is almost the dead arm concept um, so that's the baseball and or kind of quarterback situation that you hear from time to time and essentially what's happening here is that you get a uh, um, attraction injury particularly due to the cross body adduction so kind of the follow through motion or due to a, a prolonged protracted uh, and forward flexed scapula so that puts a traction onto the suprascapular nerve which results in that uh, sort of vague shoulder pain and most importantly weakness with external rotation and abduction dead dead arm yeah yeah uh, on occasion, you can see this following like a, like a trauma injury or a fracture of some sort, so a fracture to the clavicle or, or, or a scapula uh, or a rib theoretically is also possible. Again, the injury can be a result of compression on the nerve due to inflammation. Uh, you'll also see cysts and other sort of space-occupying situations, so thickening of uh, ligaments in the area. And, and one of the most common poor scapular control, uh, which is sort of weakness in, in periscapular muscles, uh, low trap, mid trap, rhomboid, uh, tightness of pec minor, serratus anterior weakness, uh, all things we've discussed before related to those scapular, periscapular muscle situations. Uh, the good news with this is it's not very common. It, it only makes up about a half a percent of shoulder injuries. But as mentioned, it is relatively common, really, actually really common in, in certain subsections, and particularly in that volleyball population. This is the most commonly injured branch of the brachial plexus due to sports. I, I got to say that I'm not that familiar with it, which is surprising. Yeah. Because um, we treat a fair amount of volleyball players, so now I feel kind of like a dumbass. <laughs> so it is... That's going to get edited, isn't it? No, we'll leave that in if you want. No, yeah. leave it in. I just yeah. thought maybe I should have said. So it's most often diagnosed by exclusion rather than a diagnosis of inclusion, if that makes some sense. So pretty much we rule everything out first before we rule this in. And with that, it, it's generally an EMG or some sort of nerve conduction study that's going to give us a true supraspinatus nerve injury. 
Most often what we're going to see is that we'll see individuals who experience symptoms that look a lot like a rotator, rotator cuff tear, that look like impingement, that look like hypermobility or some other sort of uh, scapular related issue. And so in treating those things, in most cases, symptoms will go away. And so the number one treatment for this is going to be scapular correction, so it's correcting those weaknesses, uh, postural addre addressing posture, and actually avoiding soft tissue mobilization and treatments is highly encouraged in these. The research is very against like any sort of deep tissue, trigger points, release, dry needling, even though those sort of things can often be reported as feeling very good or as the quote-unquote good hurt feeling that people experience. It feels like something's helpful. Uh, what they found is that digging in deeply feeling provides a moment of relief, but it's very similar to, to cracking your knuckles or cracking your neck and back. It's something where the more you do it, the more you feel you need to do it, and, and you're really just getting a brief endorphin release, and you're not actually helping the situation. You're actually causing it to, to stick around for a longer period of time. Uh, the other way to treat it uh, is basically a dose pack, so some sort of cortisone or, or steroid treatment, and then just over-the-counter NSAIDs are quite common as well. Make for some fantastic cocktails. But you can make some good cocktails with that stuff. You get some get some dose packs, you get some NSAIDs, maybe throw in a little NyQuil just for fun. Can really get after it. Some don't do that. Please, please don't do that. Yeah, be careful with that stuff. So what we see with this suprascapular nerve injury is that oftentimes it doesn't register as a nerve injury because you treat it as something else and it gets better and, and goes away. And so in our practice here with, with a lot of volleyball players, we see a lot of thoracic uh, limitations and, and, and weakness. And so if we treat those things and their kind of arm pain goes away and their numbness goes away and their weakness goes away and their, their posture and scapular stability improves – what did we treat? Was it impingement? Was it suprascapular nerve injury? Hard to know for sure. That's a good point. Does There's, it matter? There, it doesn't really matter. So having a diagnosis of, of, of this is usually something, as mentioned, that only happens uh, with a lot of looking into it. Very rarely is there going to be an initial diagnosis of nerve injury because it requires, uh, you know, an EKG to really truthfully tell you if it's actually the nerve versus, you know, the dead arm situation, which is a uh, pretty common. I mean, people have heard of that across the board. You'll see that from time to time. And um, being able to to strengthen the individual solves the problem. Does it matter if you got diagnosed with super scapular nerve injury or not? And you meant EMG, not EKG. I did. I meant EMG. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Those two are easily confused. Yep. Nope. Very good point. Close to each other in the alphabet. Not very common, but maybe more common than we think. Yeah. That, that, you know, that's a yep. that brings up a very interesting topic for maybe a future podcast about, you know, how important is an accurate diagnosis or is an accurate assessment of symptoms more important? Yeah. Especially if you're depending on you know, some form of imaging or or testing or... I mean, we've kind of mentioned that before, right? We don't treat the image necessarily, you know. If you've got this and this going on, but you've got a full rotator cuff, but you can move your arm all the way, how much does that really matter? Yep. Yep. You know? Excellent point. So, 
Trivia time! Last week's trivia. Which U.S. state is closest to Africa? Can't believe TJ got that, huh? TJ got it. Courtney got it. Yeah. 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 She, she, she yeah. said something about shout out to... But I'm proud of you, Court. Well yep. done. Maine is the correct answer. Particularly, Quaddy Head is a mere 3,154 miles from El Bedouzim, Morocco. Which means, does that mean that it's closer to Africa than it is to California? Potentially, it's closer to Africa than to Southern California, yeah. I mean, wow, we'll, have to, cool. we'll have to look. I don't know. We'll have to measure. I don't know how far I, it is I, from. I don't know. Yeah. TJ nailed it, no problem. His grandparents go there every summer, apparently. To Maine? Yeah. Oh, I thought to Africa. So Quaddy Head, Maine is also the easternmost contiguous portion of the United States of America. Huh. Yeah. We all know not the not the easternmost state. Can't be. No. No. It's Alaska. No. Can't be. We like the guesses. Thank you very much, Tony and Kem. Good tries. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Kem, by the way, um, that puppy is no longer a puppy. That's a big dog. Yeah. Murph, I believe. Murphy, yeah. 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 He's like 46 pounds already. He's going to be a big dog. That's going to be a lot of dog. Good well for done, you. Kim. Good yeah. for you. This week's question, why is a hockey puck named a puck? <laughs> it's good. Christian's been doing some studying about the whole hockey thing, and uh, we've come up with some interesting interesting um, knowledge. Yeah, the, f- the first pucks used were, were frozen pieces of cow dung. And why wouldn't they? I mean, what else would you use? Well, yeah, why not? There's some debate on that. That's why we didn't ask that 100%. But it's a good story at the very least. I love least. the story. It's, yeah. it's totally yeah, worth it. It makes for a great story. Chip time. We got the Sputkin. Yeah. Honey barbecue flavored. Thank you very much, Lisa, for bringing that in for us. We really appreciate it. We got a chip to ratio. It's kind of weird because they're french fry sticky things in this tubular long baggy deal, but it was only about 40%. So I, I, it's not a true chip to ratio, but it's still giving it a 40% here today. Uh, you definitely get a, a scent of the honey barbecue right off the bat here. You go in. Yeah. They're crunchy, but then they soften really quick. They're very mealy. I think they're too thick. Christian and I were talking about how growing up we had these little sticks, and I can't remember what they were called. But they're like a mini fry, which would have worked better in this case. And uh, The flavor is really quite subtle. I'm getting a little barbecue-ish paprika-type flavor. The, the chip is just not a good... It's not a chip. The yeah, potato the, the, crisp, the I think, stick. is too... It gets too mealy, too dry. It's got... It's got more shades of like a like a Cheeto puff type consistency than a, than a potato chip consistency. Remember those, um, the vegetable sticks? Yeah. But they were more crisp or, or airy than these. These are pretty dense, which... They are pretty dense. Yeah. They're not doing it for me. I'm going to go one thumb down. It's, it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't snack on this for a half hour. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just gonna give it a one thumb because they're they're they're. I mean, I'm not spitting them out, so. No, but that's because your mom taught you not to. Yeah. But you would if you could. If you were outside and you were at a baseball game and you had a bag of these, you'd spit them out. The question is, is would you finish the bag? Right. No. That's always the question. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, I'm gonna leave it at one thumb. 
The flavor's not great. The consistency's not great. Well, I'm not going to have any problems staying away from these. Yeah. They, they're a shrug. They stick to your Give, teeth. Giving it a shrug. Yeah. Thank you for listening today. Next week will be our 100th episode. That is absolutely insane. So the, that's going to be interesting. We'll, we, uh, we'll keep you on the edge of your seat with what we're going to do for that one. Stay tuned. We will be reviewing the 365 Pastrami on Rye from Whole Foods, Chip. Compliments of Mr. Match Niner. If you like today's episode, please tell your friends, follow, review, subscribe. Uh, we will be posting information on Instagram and Twitter throughout the week related to super scapular nerve. Come on for information on rebound therapy. Head to the website, reboundclinic.com. Use Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thanks for listening.